Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Desiree. We are both mothers who run a support group for perinatal loss. Through our group, we have met many wonderful families and have had the honor of hearing about and sometimes meeting their beautiful babies. We notice that families feel relief when they can share openly and feel seen when they meet others who are telling similar stories. So we created this podcast as a space for families to share the stories of their babies. We want to honor and remember these children. We want to help you navigate your life after loss. And most importantly, we want each story to give you hope. So please join us as we share these stories of grief and love. Welcome to the Blindsided Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Blindsided Podcast. We're your hosts, Desiree and Nicole. Today, we have Sarah Shepard here with us. We met Sarah through our support group that we have been doing for a few years. Sarah started coming in the year 2021 um, after she lost her son, Oliver. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being here today and sharing your story of Oliver with us. Thank you for having me. Sarah, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, My name is Sarah. I'm 33 years old. I always have to think what year it is um, because I was born 1990, so it's easy to figure out my age. But (laughs) anyway, I met my husband when I was 18 and he was 19. And then um, we started dating and we got married in 2018. I am a middle school math teacher. I teach seventh grade, which most people will cringe at, but I promise that their bark is louder than their bite. They truly just, (laughs) they still want to just do everything for you. So that's really nice. I really enjoy my job. Um, I really like crafting. Uh, I used to run a lot more. I really want to get back into that, but just going back to work and the weather changing and just everything's been really crazy since the birth of our second child in last March. It's just been really busy. I really like to read. I used to do that a lot more, especially when the baby was really little because then I could read while he napped on me and he wouldn't wake up and it was great. I would just read all the time. I read so many books, but now that he's completely mobile, I can't do that that much. Yeah, it's hard to find the time with a little baby. Yeah, yeah. so I do what I can. Can you tell us about your pregnancy journey with Oliver? Yeah, so, God, what year was it? It was 2020. Dreaded 2020. 2020 was the worst year. (laughs) Um, My husband and I, on our second anniversary, decided that we would start trying to have a baby. Most people we knew got pregnant pretty easily. And it felt a lot longer than it was. It was just about, I think, seven or eight months of us trying. And I just gotten in contact with a fertility doctor, recommended from a friend. And then we found out that I was pregnant on January 2nd, 2021 was when I got my first pregnancy positive. And I wasn't even planning to take a pregnancy test, but I had a glass of wine the night before. And I was like, this just doesn't taste right. And then the next afternoon we went to Nick's grandmother's house and we had Chinese food and I was like, I'm going to throw up. (laughs) So I went home the next morning and uh, I went home that night and it was negative. I took a pregnancy test the next morning, the second, and it was positive. So, well, I love when pregnancy journeys start with had a glass of wine. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't taste right. (laughs) <laughs> and it was bad. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it was really weird. It was because it was New Year's Eve, and I was like, I, we don't really like drink like that. Yeah. But you know, it's New Year's Eve. We have a couple glasses. We're we're at his parents, so we're not worried about anything, and it just didn't taste right. So I had something else, and that didn't taste right. And I was like, something's not, something's going on here, because <laughs> I thoroughly enjoy my wine, <laughs> still do. Um, yeah. So then I wrapped it up in a sunglass box. It was the only thing I had. I wrapped it up, and I put. We got our Christmas miracle after all, and I wrapped it up. <laughs> And I put it under the tree and I told my husband that, oh, I forgot one of your presents came late in the mail. Like, you know, it happens with oh Amazon goodness. and I couldn't get it here on time, but it came. I was so surprised. It wasn't supposed to come until February, whatever. I made it so up. And he opened it and yeah, then he saw it and I was really, we were really excited and I took like cute pictures of the like little box that I wrapped and the little note. We still have it too. Um, that's so sweet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a cute story. <laughs> oh my gosh. I haven't thought about that in a long time. <laughs> yeah. And then I wasn't even eight weeks yet because I didn't have my first OB appointment because they don't bring you into like nine weeks, which is crazy. But I was at work. It was COVID. So there was no kids. It was just myself and my co-teacher in the room. And I went to the restroom before class started and I was bleeding. And it wasn't like brown blood. It was bright red. And I was like, oh my God, I'm losing the baby. Like I'm at work. Ugh. So I leave. She was my co-teacher. So she took the class. I left. Did you drive? Yeah, I went right to the doctors. The doctors okay. is only, it's only about like without traffic, it's only like five minutes, 10 minutes down the road. So it's not far. They got me in. They did the ultrasound. Everything looked fine. They just said that it might just be residual blood. It was weird that it was red and not brown, but, um, and I was like, okay, like I felt fine except for that, which had me panicking. And then a lot over the pregnancy, I just had spotting on and off. I had a lot of, I don't know if I can say this word on the podcast, like vaginal pain. Can I say that? It's fine by me. Yeah, you can't even say rectal pain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just checking. I wasn't sure. Yeah, I can't explain it any other way. Now I know what it was. It was my cervix struggling just struggling to stay like strong and stay closed. But I didn't know that at the time. And I just, I don't know, I'd never been pregnant. So doctors told me everything was fine. And I mean, I felt like it wasn't. Um, and every time I went in, I told them like, I feel like something's wrong. Something's not right. Something's not right. I even told Nick, like I called my parents like sobbing all the time. And I was like, something's just not right. But I don't know what it is because I don't know. And 17 weeks, I had what I thought were contractions and more bleeding. Um, so they sent me to OB triage. And apparently that's like rare before 20 weeks, I guess. Yeah. They don't like to, to send you there. Um, but they were concerned because I was actually having contractions. And I think they thought if I was going to give birth, they didn't want me to give birth at home. Um, so they sent me. That's my thinking. Again, I, I don't know. So I went and they did an internal exam. They said I'm not dilated. They did an internal ultrasound to measure the length of the cervix. It was like three point something and it was closed. So everything looked good. They couldn't find the source of the bleeding. They couldn't figure it out because they did an ultrasound. They checked the placenta. They checked the cervix. They checked everything. And they told me everything's fine. We don't know where it's coming from. Just go home and rest. Like I thought they were going to put me on bed rest. So I kind of put myself on bed rest, I guess. Again, it was COVID. So I didn't have to stand up and teach all day. There were no kids. I could sit in my chair. 
Like it was good. I stayed home. I kept my feet up. Um, and then around, oh God, it was May 3rd. It was May 3rd. And again, bleeding. I felt like I was having contractions. Then I was over 20 weeks. Again, they sent me to OB triage. They hooked me up to the monitor and they were like, you are having contractions. How many weeks were you at this point? Were you 20 weeks? Or? I was 20 weeks and four days. 24. Okay. So they said, um, we're going to try to get your contractions under control and then go from there. And I said, okay. They just gave me IV fluids, you know, thinking maybe I was a little dehydrated. The contractions stopped and again, they checked my cervix. They checked everything and it was fine. They don't know where the bleeding was coming from. They just, you know, take it easy, drink lots of water, come back if you're having any issues. And the next morning, overnight, I woke up and I knew they were real contractions. But of course, you know, they're like, oh, first time mom. They try to tell you that it's Braxton Hicks and this and that. And they were like, you were just an OB triage yesterday. Do you really need to go back? I was like, I am in labor. What don't you understand? They had me comment. They were like, just come to the office. So my mother-in-law came. She took me to the office because I didn't want to drive. And they did an internal exam there and the doctor froze. And she said, I need to get a swab to test for amniotic fluid because she said that I was dilated and she, she thinks my water broke. And I was like, oh my God, which I don't know when there was nothing like it had to have been like a slow leak or something. And she swabbed it and I get, she didn't even get the swab out. And it was, I think it has to light up blue and it was bright blue. And she said, you need to go to the hospital right now. Sarah, I'm so sorry. Oh and I remember I looked at the doctor and I said, is my baby going to be okay? Aww. And I knew when she didn't say anything, I knew. I felt like I had known all along and I was trying to tell people. But, you know, they try to play you off like you're a first time mom. You don't know what you're talking about. It's just normal pregnancy pain. Yeah, but you know your body. That's what I kept trying to tell them. And I remember, but I do remember that it was the same person the next day when I went back who came into triage to check on me. Um, and she was like, what are you doing back here? And I was like, I'm in labor. I tried to tell you yesterday. Again, it could have been yeah. a random person. You know what I mean? Right. And again, they hooked me up. And this time they did the internal and she was like, you're definitely dilated. We got to get you on fluids. We got to. Meanwhile, that was the day, literally May 4th, was supposed to be my anatomy exam. So I'm at the hospital and they're telling me that they're admitting me into labor and delivery for observation, which the way the contractions were, there was no way I knew it. I was back there without Nick for like an hour and a half before they let him come back. It was a... Was that because of COVID? No, because somebody hadn't come and asked me the domestic violence questions. And it was like... I don't know what questions they have to ask before someone can come back. I was just, at that point, I was just really mad. Like, Yeah, you were ready to get, have some domestic violence. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I remember as they were about to wheel me up to labor and delivery, the people from my anatomy scan called me and said, are you still coming? Oh my gosh. My appointment was at 5 p.m. and it was 5.30. I hadn't showed up. I couldn't believe they waited a half hour, but... They must have been behind. And I just threw the phone at Nick. Like, I was like, you need to tell them we can't, we're not going to be there. And so he told them, obviously. And they were like, oh my God, whatever, reschedule if you get, whatever. They take us up and they took us up at six o'clock and at 8.22 he was born. That's very quick. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Turns out the bleeding was 
I guess, from like a concealed abruption. And I had an abruption. Um, the doctor suspected it because when I had him, everything everything kind of came out at once. Yeah. It just happened very quickly. Were you able to like get some pain control, maybe like an epidural or anything, or it was just too fast? No, because they they didn't believe me that I was in labor. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, no, nothing. I remember the nurse at maybe like 8.15 said, do you want an epidural? And of course, you know, at that point, your mind is not, not processing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I said, I remember saying to her, if I need it. And she just Aww. looked at me. What do you like? What do you say? You know? Yeah. And then, I mean, it was that too. It was too late at that point anyway. I guess all this time I never realized how fast your labor was. That's super fast. So after you had him, were you able to spend time with him? Like what was, what was the scene? Um, yeah. After we had him, everybody cleared the room and we at the time didn't know how long looking back in pictures, we pieced it together. They were gone for about an hour and they let us just have our time. Then Anne came in and took his footprints and took his pictures. They did molds of his feet. They had him in a cute knitted hat and blanket and yeah, and I didn't know this, but underneath the blanket he was in an angel gown, which I found out later was from a donated wedding dress. They make Aww. those yeah, they make them and donate to the hospital and people knit the hand the the blankets and hats and everything for them. So You took the wedding gown home, right? Or like the outfit home? I actually did it because I didn't know that he was in it underneath of the blanket and the hat. And when we left the hospital, obviously you're not thinking right. And we were going to leave and the labor and delivery nurse said, oh, wait, do you want the blanket and hat? And I said, yes, yes, I do. Oh, my gosh. And she took it off and she gave it to us. But we actually got the angel gown in the mail. I guess like two weeks later, they had mailed it to us. So I don't know if that was, I, I don't know who at the hospital recognized that we probably wanted that. I think it was the doctor that delivered me. That's really awesome. That is very thoughtful too. It's pretty unheard of. Yeah, they mailed it to us. So we still have that. Even though we did, like, I didn't know. I didn't know. And then we, they had a cuddle cot. So we went to another room. A recovery room and they told us we could stay as long as we wanted or needed to and it was hard being in the recovery room because you hear all the crying babies <laughs> so you were in a recovery room where you could hear other babies like were they in the same room or just like down the hall from you no they put us at the end of the hallway and they left the room next to us empty like on purpose but okay. you can still, still hear it, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a hospital. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we stayed overnight. I only put the baby back a few times because I didn't want him to get warm. And um, they explained that the discoloration and and then uh, gets like around mid morning. We left. I wish I could give you a hug right now. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. It's been it's been a rough few apologize. Sarah, did you um? bury Oliver or did you have him cremated and did you have a service for him we decided to cremate him because we did not know where we were gonna end up and we did not want to be in a situation where 
we were hours away. I mean, he's so little. There's like hardly any ashes. We did not want to potentially like have to move him. So we decided to cremate him. We did have a funeral mass at our church. But we asked that only our parents come. Yeah. I couldn't bear to see anybody. I would just think from your perspective that it's like people are just standing around kind of looking at you guys. I don't know that's if that's how you felt like on display kind of. Like your grief is on display and that's not what it was about. I would have made the same choice. Yeah. And I know that it was hard for people to understand. Obviously, it's something that I'm glad that they don't understand. Yeah, because you know what? If they've been through it, they definitely understand. So you're right. Yeah. Society tells us, oh, you know, have a funeral, have a viewing, and then you're all better. Well, no. (laughs) I wish it worked like that. Um, Yeah, so we had him cremated and he, we had a little area for him in what would have been his room. And then when we had Theodore... He is on a cloud shelf in his room, like, overlooking everything. Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) Yeah. Just like it should be. The big brother's looking out for the little brother. Yep. Exactly. So when you left the hospital, like, what's, like, the kindest thing that you remember somebody doing for you? If it was one thing or many things? I actually asked my husband this before I came on because it's a lot. It's a big blur. (laughs) Um, I remember bits and pieces, like the weirdest things. I remember when we left the hospital, there was a woman outside and she said, oh, did you just have a baby? And the nurse, the the (laughs) nurse who had walked us out kind of like stood up and stood in front of me and was like, yes, like, don't ask any questions. Yeah. Back off. (laughs) Yeah. And this was, of course, when Nick went to get the car and he was pulling up and it's, it was... So, I don't know. I That's so terrible. But I don't remember. That's okay. It is a blur. Yeah, I don't know. Because I, I don't remember. What was the one thing or the one hardest moment on your grief journey? What felt the hardest? I'm sure this is a very common answer. Um, just watching everybody else's life kind of keep moving on. And you're just stuck. And we had decided... Soon after, once we got the clear from our doctor that we would try again, and that's a whole other story, but it did not happen for a while, and that definitely amplified everything, I have to say. I knew that being pregnant again would be hard, but just watching other people become so easily pregnant and just have this carefree pregnancy and... It was hard. Yeah. I missed a lot of baby showers, a lot of births, a lot of a lot of everything. Did you have to do uh, fertility treatments to get pregnant again? We did end up making an appointment with the same doctor again. Ironically, our first appointment that we had was scheduled for March 13th. That's ironic because that was Theodore's due date, which we canceled because we were pregnant anyway. <laughs> yeah. So we, we made another appointment and we went in October. It took a little bit to get an appointment in there. And we started with them in November and then we, we got pregnant in June and that was, um, we had decided that if I wasn't pregnant, 
by summer that we would move on to IVF because I have summers off and it's very intense. There's a lot of different medications. You have to go to a lot of appointments and it would just be easier without the stress of work added in. That's good planning on your part. Yeah, we we had our IVF consult on June 30th, which I had taken an at-home test at that point, and it was positive. But I I was just so in denial after so long, you know, negative, 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 being told, oh, everything looks perfect. This is definitely the one, and then nothing. We went through a lot of testing. Anything you can think of, we did, and it all came back perfect. So, yeah, and on July 2nd was when we got our blood work confirmation, which was weird. <laughs> it was a lot. I used to joke with Nick that if it was a girl, if we had a baby girl, then we would have to name her Chloe because of Clomid. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> yeah. It was just, you know, something a little. What's the one thing, or you can say many things, that helped you the most with your grief and just getting through day to day? Um, The first few months, I feel like I was kind of in denial that I needed more help than I thought I did, I guess. I mean, I knew I knew it was going to affect everything, right? But you just don't realize how much everything is. It's literally every part of your life. <laughs> You're a completely different person. Pre-loss, I ran marathons. <laughs> I was that crazy, crazy person waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning when it's negative 10 degrees outside and still going for my run. Oh my gosh, you're the kind of people that run on Thanksgiving morning. <laughs> yes, yes, I was that person. Yes, and then after I just had absolutely no desire, and I think that was definitely one of the hardest things. No, you lose your self-identity because you identify prior to having a baby as this, like you always say, I ran marathons, I got up and ran, and I exercised, and then, you know, you lost this baby, such a, a major life event, and then you lose who you were in that also, because you come out on the other side, and you're not that same Sarah you know, that you used to be. So you have to kind of relearn who you are um, and your relationship and everything that goes with it. Yeah. It's tough. One of the things I think just accepting that I needed more help, I got into therapy, which was good. That was a nice kind of outlet once a week. I was doing twice a week for a while. Again, COVID. So everything was still virtual, even though it was at this point, it was like October, 2021. And then I also went to the wave of light and i stopped the facebook page for a while as i'm sure everybody will tell you that they they did they stopped the facebook page for a while trying to get up the courage to go to a meeting and there were a few i almost went to but i had like back to school night and then conferences and it just it just didn't work out right but then i finally made it out in december and that was a huge help just because you don't feel like nobody in your life understands anymore yeah and you can just color <laughs> you know i still have that first coloring page i colored oh i do i can do it. well a lot of our listeners probably don't know but nicole and i run a support group and sarah was talking that she came to our support group so sarah you said uh, quotations you stalked the support group um, on facebook probably but i have two questions actually so one how did you find your therapist and two what made you you know what did you see that made you really want to come out to a support group? I found my therapist through psychology.com or whatever it's called. I've 
just made sure that they took my insurance first. Um, and then that narrowed down the list. And I knew, I knew personally, I wanted to speak to a young female. I felt like obviously that patient therapist confidentiality, they, they're not going to bring up their life, but at least if they've had some experiences, they can understand a little bit better than a male (laughs) or, um, you know, people who are in like their sixties, they, just tell you, oh, I just, you know, I had a miscarriage and just get over it. And it's like, okay. You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's valid, yeah. But, yeah, when you do, like, the peer the peer matching to someone who had the same experience or similar yeah. experience, because nobody's had the same but similar experience to you, it's same thing. It's like you just want somebody that can relate on right. many levels. You know, not just we're, we both are females. It's yeah. just more than that. Yeah, yeah that. definitely. The support group. What pulled you in? I don't know. It just I don't know. I you just, just saw needed... a picture and you were like, We have I have to go meet this girl. <laughs> I have to tell her that picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I I did online support group for a little bit and I was just really struggling to just connect online. I just wanted yeah. an in person event and so many, so many were just not offering it at all. And yeah. it was December, so it's like, oh my god, <laughs> the winter yeah. after the the big COVID outbreak, and um, yeah, you guys were in person, and that was huge. That was huge. Yeah, I think it makes a big yeah. difference. It's kind of nice to be able to hide behind your screen if you want to hide behind your screen, but it's really nice to like, I don't. It's just a different camaraderie yeah, so together in person. And and right. coming from teaching online for like almost an entire year at that point. I was over it, completely over the virtual. I just wanted yeah. that human contact. Yeah. I think a lot of people were looking for the same thing as well, Sarah. Like you weren't the only one. A lot of people yeah. wanted in person at that point. So Oliver, how do you keep his memory alive? Uh, what kind of things do you do? Um, you can tell us about your legacy project. So I guess just in our everyday life, Again, those people who don't understand, they are the ones that make the comments about this. We still dress Theodore in little brother in little brother clothing. Um, we we do talk about him a lot. Theodore will know about him. Yeah, his picture is on our wall mural with our beautiful newborn pictures, followed by Desiree. <laughs> And his picture is up there with our family as well. Um, so when people come in the house, they know, you know, hey, there's our baby. And and we, we celebrate his birthday every year. And I try when I can now. It's harder now. But I do. I do some crafting stuff. And I make, like, shirts, clothing. Now I'm just making stuff for all my friends' babies. But... It is nice that I put his logo on the back of their clothing. And I just feel like, you know, maybe if they're out, someone would be like, oh, what does that stand for? And, you know, then they'll get to tell them. And that's really sweet. And through three little birds, there's Ollie Bears. I didn't realize this because when I had left the hospital, they gave us a very cute stuffed animal teddy bear. I didn't realize that wasn't common practice. And when Kristen came to me with this idea, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cute. That's great. And so you can order a bear with your baby's name on it and I make it. And it's really, really sweet. 
So everybody gets to have a little piece of their baby or their grandbaby or, you know, whoever wants a bear. And recently they we did a new to the nest night and just got like some new families out. And I made a little bear for them each. It was really cute. Yeah. And I just, I didn't know that it wasn't, it wasn't a thing at every hospital. I I didn't know that. My sister-in-law also knits hats and blankets. And our grandmother did for a while, but arthritis cut her hand. And they donate them to the hospital with tags. Um, And I actually have a friend who received, not that that's a good thing. It's like, it's like a weird proud moment. Um, yeah, like full circle. Right? Yeah, like she received one of the blankets and hats that my friend, my, my sister-in-law knit for the hospital. We were saying the last podcast, Erin's um, podcast, we were saying how she said, um, you know, I really enjoy, I think that's how she put it. I forget how she put it, but like, I really enjoy running the, the support group. And it's just same thing. Like, I'm so glad like I get to like knit and like, give this stuff to families, lost families. But in the same sense, like, you know, you wish that there wasn't a need for it. You know, you wish there wasn't a need for these support groups and knitting these things, but that's a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah. It's definitely a bittersweet moment. And I, I know that that's like a way for her to deal with her grief. Yeah. We're going to link to the Ollie bears on your yes. podcast. It's already on there, but we're going to link on the blog also so people can go to it and see it. I was just going to ask, um, how do you celebrate his birthday? You said you celebrate his birthday every year. What do you guys do as a family for Oliver's birthday? The first year, we just had our parents. My parents live in Arizona, so they were still out there. We had my parents on FaceTime, my brother, sister-in-law, and nephew on FaceTime. They also live in Arizona. And then I had my in-laws um, over our house. I got a cake, and I've I've kind of decided that as the years go on, I'm going to try to pick a theme for the cake that I think maybe he would have liked at that age. The first birthday, of course, the parents do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I did just a theme like his nursery. I just did. I did a really pretty blue ombre cake and they put like clouds on it and little stars and it was cute. And it just said happy first heavenly birthday. His second one, I was like, all right. What do two-year-old boys like? Cars. They love cars. Usually, right? Generally. So I did like a racing theme for that. That's and cute. I made I made the cake toppers for both. Didn't something happen? You texted me or something because some car said Oliver or... There was. So when I was looking up cake toppers as kind of like inspiration, yeah. I did Too Fast, like the number two, for a second birthday. And yeah. the first one that popped up had his name on it. And I just felt like, okay, this is it. It's so crazy. The little... Yeah, the little song. Yeah, at that point, I wasn't decided on the theme, but when I saw that, I was like, yep, that's it. Yeah, Nicole, I don't know if you knew that story, but Sarah texted me. I think she sent me a screenshot of the Pinterest or something because she was doing the car theme for his birthday. And she's like, literally, I typed in like the theme or whatever and it popped up and that's what popped up right that was your symbol that was your sign i say it's crazy but it happens so much it happens all the time like i will recently i've been trying to look up first christmas christmas outfits for theodore and i'll type in baby boy first christmas and it's like all over all over all over all over all over and i'm like oh my god oh that's so cool do you have any other like symbols for him like I know some people like when they see like a cardinal or like they just have things that they like a coin. 
Is there anything that you associate with Oliver? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's just, I hate to say again, like the normal things, but I feel like butterflies are a huge symbol for for any lost parent. And there's actually this one butterfly that comes, and now we know it's not the same butterfly, but it's the same type of butterfly that comes every year to Nick's parents' house and they can never figure out it's a blue butterfly and they can never figure out like why does this butterfly keep coming back? They don't have any butterfly plants, nothing. Nothing. It just always comes back to their doorstep. And so like every year I'm like, oh maybe that was him telling us. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So how did the loss of Oliver affect your marriage? And do you have any advice on protecting your marriage through grief and loss? The one thing that we both agreed on in the hospital, we made promises to him before we left that we would not let this break us apart. And I know that that's a big promise to make, especially on the first day. (laughs) You don't really know what the road ahead has in store for you. You don't know how each person is, is going to react and be affected by it. Or how they're going to handle it. Um, Nick has always been. I, I joke around with him. But in all seriousness he's not terrible. <laughs> I call him Dexter. Um, which I'm not talking about Dexter's laboratory. I'm talking about the serial killer Dexter. Oh my god. I was thinking you were going to say the opposite. I'm not no. talking about the serial killer. I'm talking about no. the cartoon. Obviously not the serial killer part. <laughs> so... <laughs> Okay, continue. Yeah. But like sometimes, you know, it's very emotionless. Doesn't show emotion. I shouldn't say emotionless. Doesn't show emotion. And I mean, like, does not at all. I've never seen this man cry except on two occasions. Three. One was our wedding day. One was the day we lost Oliver. One was his funeral. I think he did cry on on his first Christmas that that he wasn't here too, but... Other than that, no. So I don't want to say that that helped, but it left me a lot of room to be very emotional. And I'm a very emotional person. So all of this kind of just amplified it, everything. (laughs) So I think that just being in that aspect, like polar opposites of how we express it helped us. But I know that a lot of people, it frustrates them when they don't see their husband you know, grieving like they do. I think just understanding that it's all going to look different. Every day is going to look different. Yeah. And I think the biggest piece of advice is just, you know, if your child was here, what would you want that to look like? That's pretty crazy that you both grieved. So, I mean, you're telling me like you're polar opposites. You grieve polar opposite, but you guys still not even survived, but you kind of thrived through it because you fed on on that like he kind of was like okay you know this is you know you are the emotional one and I'm okay with that and I'm you know less emotional he feels it but he's just not outwardly expressing it and you were okay with that because some people look at it like you don't care like why are yeah. you not crying it's not that they don't care you know that every once in a while I mean I'm only human right but every every once in a while yeah. it would get to me and you know I'd tell him and then we'd talk about it and I think we've always just been very open about that kind of stuff. I don't know. He just let me do what I needed to do to get through it. <laughs> yeah, it's a very mature, very mature yeah. relationship. That you guys were able to communicate. Yeah, at that point it had been like 12 years. So I think at that point if we don't if we don't know each other that well, then that's 
that's that's an us problem. Yeah. So you guys were together for 12 years before you had Oliver, like dating and marriage. Yeah, altogether. we we started dating in August of 2009 and we okay. had he was due September 2021. Wow. Yeah. You built a strong foundation. It's funny you say that because our wedding song was From the Ground Up mm-hmm. by Dan and Shay. Oh, isn't that <laughs> perfect? That. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You didn't know how perfect it was then, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How was your subsequent pregnancy with Theodore? And how did you cope with the anxiety and stress that comes from pregnancy after loss? Oh, man, how long do we have? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the pregnancy itself was very uneventful, thankfully, physically. Um, no bleeding, no contractions, no pain at all. Absolutely none, which I was like, I knew it. I knew it wasn't right. And just having this physically good pregnancy really showed me how wrong everything was in my pregnancy with Oliver. It gave you some validation, right? Like, yeah, for sure. And then emotionally, I mean, I had, I had someone with me at every single doctor's appointment. 99% 99% of the time it was my mom because my mom moved from Arizona back to New Jersey for the year so she could be with me. So that was nice. I never had to go to a doctor's appointment alone. I never really had to be alone if I didn't you know, want to be. So that was nice. And then I guess I think it was my 22-week cervix check. So they had me on cervix checks from 16 to 24. It might have been my 24-week. I don't remember exactly. I remember the person, the ultrasound tech, looked at me and said, at your anatomy scan, did they tell you about your placenta? And then she didn't say anything. And I freaked out. I mean, I went from zero to a thousand. Just instant flashbacks. And of course, I'm panicking. And then she can't say anything because she's not the doctor. So she can't read and... I mean, obviously she can read the older sound because that's her job, but um, I had to wait and I, she was like, I need have to go get the doctor. I was like, you need to tell him to come back right now because I'm going to have a panic attack. Like, you cannot leave me hanging. Thankfully, the doctor came back right away and I later found out this doctor was also a lost mom. So I feel like that kind of helped a little bit in that aspect. And she told me that I had placenta previa. It's when the placenta covers the cervix. Then she asked me if I had any bleeding. And I was like, oh, no, I would have been in the hospital so fast. (laughs) You wouldn't even have seen me check in. Like, I would just be there. And Right, right. You know better now. Yeah. I was like, no, absolutely not. Don't freak me out. Not messing. So then I had to wait two more weeks. They wanted to give it two weeks to see what happened. My placenta moved away from my cervix, was marginal. And then by four weeks later, it was completely away from my cervix. So if I hadn't been doing those cervix checks, I never would have known that it was covering. And which is just wild to me because so many people go through pregnancy and they don't have all these scans. You know, they don't go every two weeks, every week towards the end and get everything scanned. Um, after that went away, I guess around 30 weeks, everything was perfectly fine. At my 38-week appointment, I was nothing. I was not dilated, nothing. And then I was induced at 39 weeks with Theodore. Awesome. I'm glad you got to be induced, like relieve some anxieties too, because I'm sure you were nervous at that point. Definitely nervous. So Sarah, last question. 
Uh, do you have any advice for a mom or a family who are newly going through pregnancy or infant loss? Take everything at your own pace. Don't let other people pressure you into feeling like you're ready to do stuff. You're ready to go back to work. You're ready to go out in public for the first time. You're ready to, to do whatever. It was hard. People wanted us, I don't know how to word this, but other than feel normal, because that's not the right wording, but they just wanted to to see us like do things that made us happy again. And I know at least for me, that took a long time. It took a long time, probably almost a year. So you just got to do things at your own pace. And sometimes people will give you a push and you're ready for it. Uh, I had a friend who pushed me to go to the inverse and support group and just said, you'll love it. Just go. And she had never gone, but she had been a lost mom for a little like a year and a half so she, she kind of knew that sometimes you just needed that gentle little gentle nudge um yeah yeah and if it's something you're thinking about then like seriously then you're probably ready i think that's just the biggest thing is just listen to yourself and you know my physical recovery wasn't much so i didn't have to go through a c-section i didn't have a full-term birth um, which i will say was not much different than my full-term birth so don't let anybody tell you any different. The only difference was the swelling. That was it. Between my 21 weeks. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm like, oh my God. I, because, you know, Oliver wasn't even a pound and Theodore was six and a half pounds. It's a big difference. Yeah. Just labor's labor. It's just the size yeah. of the baby that comes out. But labor is labor. Everything felt the same. The contractions felt the same. Yeah. Pushing him out felt the same. Everything felt the same. The only difference was the <laughs> swelling after. That was it. I wasn't as swollen because there wasn't as much pressure. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, so my physical recovery was easy. So don't let people push you think you're ready to go out or do whatever you're not ready to do. It's definitely the biggest thing. Yeah, you said I think there's a difference. So if some people push you like your friend did because she knows that it's it's she just wants to help you. Like she's like, I know this is going to help you. And then some people push you because they're uncomfortable with you being uncomfortable and uncomfortable with you being sad. So they're pushing you because they want you to feel better. So they don't have to look at sad Sarah, you know? Yeah, that's, that's true. The, that's the big fine. difference. Come on. Don't you just want to get back to normal? Yeah. <laughs> don't you think if I wanted to, I would <laughs> like what? If I could, I would. Right. Yeah. But it's impossible. Yeah. yeah. There were days that, and there still are some days that I just don't want to get out of bed. Sarah, thank you so much for being here and sharing the story of Oliver with us. If you want to send Sarah and her beautiful family some love, email us at nicoleattheblindsided.com or desireattheblindsided.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming app. Also, please share our podcast with anyone that you know who may be experiencing grief following a pregnancy or infant loss. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to the latest episode of the Blindsided Podcast. We truly appreciate your support and time you spent with us. If you have a personal story you'd like to share on the show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can send us an email at NicoleAtTheBlindsided.com or DesireeAtTheBlindsided.com. For more episodes, make sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. Just search The Blindsided Podcast and hit that follow button. You can also connect with us on social media too. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Blindsided Podcast. We love engaging with our listeners and hearing your thoughts on each episode. And before you go, consider leaving a rating and review for our show. Your feedback helps us reach more listeners who might find value in the stories and discussions we share. 
Once again, thank you for listening and being a part of the Blindsided community.